Afternoon, evening. Welcome to another episode of Big Chief Chat Show. I am joined today by none other than Dave. Mindset by Dave. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I've never been introduced as none other than before, so uh, <laughs> I'm feeling quite flattered right now. I've actually, I've put you doing a special guest, Dave. Ooh, special guest. Special guest. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. The only other person that gets that is fancy because he, he told me he needed that because <laughs> he's got to say it back. Well, but I don't I, necessarily need it, but it's always appreciated. <laughs> Definitely. How's your How's your day been? It's been good. Yeah, gym's back open, so three days in a row now. I'm feeling a little bit sore, but I'm feeling. I feel like a part of me disappeared shortly after the gym closed, and it's uh, it's really nice to have it back. I really struggled to get. I really struggled to carve time out for myself, mm-hmm. um, and the gym seems to be the one place where. I give myself full and unadulterated permission to to have me time, you know. Yeah, definitely. We the gyms in Scotland still aren't open. I don't think. No. Um, it's it's Eng- England have got a lot more open. Have you got restaurants and stuff open yet? We've got outdoor dining. Yeah, so I'm doing oh. that later. <laughs> oh, lovely! See, the thought of going out for an Indian with the family. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I've got more already. I'm just going to walk in and just. Show them it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> It'll, it's not that far behind for you, for you guys, I don't think, is it? Twenty sixth. Uh, so ah, a couple of weeks. Yeah, a couple of more weeks, yeah. It'll fly in. It'll fly in. I, I know for a fact it'll fly in. I mean, yeah. see, when we got told just after New Year that we were getting everything was going back to the way it was. Everybody was a wee bit disheartened, and I mean, I definitely was because I was like, oh, I'm actually getting a wee bit of social life again because I think everybody, everybody is feeling it. Mentally, um, it's like you're caged. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you're caged without the shackles. Yeah. But now everything's going back to a, a wee bit more normality. A lot more people are going out, and I, I've never not went out. I've still been going out like walks or to the park with the kids. Yeah. But it's no the same. <laughs> it's not. It's not. And uh, yeah, we've we've still been getting out, and we're very lucky, kind of where we live. We live near a canal, and we've got a dog and. He walks, and we've actually we actually did manage to get both of the kids out like on one walk together, which was ridiculous because getting them two to do anything together these days is a uh, challenging. Oh, yeah, <laughs> at, an age, at an age that where they they didn't speak or just um, yeah, they're, they're, six, they're sixteen and fourteen, oh, and um, it's that it's that age where I don't know. It's it's I feel like when they're really really little, age difference doesn't mean much. Mm-hmm. And then once you get past a certain age, age like how we were chatting before we started recording about how I'm like out of our the people we sort of spend time with online, I'm the old man really, <laughs> and um you know, um and it doesn't really make much difference that you know my my sort of closest friend on stream is Mountain, he's nine days young, nine days, nope, nine <laughs> years younger than me. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference at our age, but. But yeah, I think that there's a crucial point, isn't there? Like in, in your teens, where every year makes a massive difference. I always joke saying that I've not got 16 years of experience of being a parent. I've got like you know five minutes of experience of being a parent to a 16 year old, and even mm-hmm. Joe, who's like 14 now, he's n- he's not the same 14 year old that Sam was two years ago. So um, it's yeah, it's 
it's an interesting time and has been since probably probably since Sam became a teenager, so for about three years. It's an awkward stage in between. Like I can remember being 14, 15 year old and going out with my mum and dad was like an absolute like that that was a no go, Ken. No, I'm not going out with them. And see nowadays, if my mum and dad says you work out for lunch. I would love to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to get my mum out of the house, that's for sure. My mum's my mum was already becoming a bit of a recluse before COVID and um and now she doesn't really move much and she's not going upstairs even in it. She only she lives on her own, so she's like during during lockdown she's moved into my nan's old bedroom downstairs and doesn't go up the stairs and hasn't walked anywhere for ages. And it's it's not so much even for the for the being around people side of it, I'd just like to get her moving, you know. Mobile, aye, definitely. Um, yeah. I don't know if you listen to my past past stream, a friend of mine's, I'm just going to quickly get, let you all know, uh, a wee update on Ollie. Ollie ended up with uh, leukaemia and he wasn't doing well. He's back in hospital, he's going through his treatments again and he's learning to walk again. So he's two-year-olds, he was obviously spent a lot of time in his bed with his treatments, but he's back on his feet. I was speaking to his dad, Davey, yesterday. So anybody that was wanting to know, he's getting there. He's getting That's there. Awesome. And Davey, thanks a lot for the update because I know you'll be listening to this. And uh, we all love Ollie. Let's get the wee man back, get him sorted. And uh, in probably about 16 years' time, we'll be drinking pints with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, hi. So, Dave, talk to me. What uh, What inspired you? To start mindset by Dave, like what was where did you start for start with? Give up, we'll just start your full life. What you was your first you, job? You, what was my fir- my first job? Was yeah, my very actually to be fair, my very very first job um, was when I was about twelve or thirteen, and um, my mum, my mum was made redundant when I was nine from an insurance company, and um, she didn't have a clue how to keep a roof over our heads. She was like panicking. My dad was being shocking. Didn't do the child support and all the rest of it. Um, he left when I was six. So for like three years, my mum had been doing the whole single mum thing and, but working single mum. Mm-hmm. So my mum started, ended up like going out on a, on a, on a whim, basically take, you know, with a fax machine and a, the, the most ancient of ancient, like Apple Macintosh computers, as they were called at that point, like the thing that's like more square outside than it is actual <laughs> visible screen. Um, with that and a fax machine and a bunch of contacts from her old job, her and one of the other guys that had been um, made redundant set up a company themselves, um, which by the time I was about 12 had moved into its offices. And um, basically it was in our, it was on our dining table for the first two to three years of its existence. And me and my brother had eat our dinner off the, uh, off the ironing board in the kitchen. <laughs> That's absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah. And um <laughs> And then when she moved into her first office over the summer, um, like we didn't have any pot, like there was not, no pocket money or that. We were really poor um, and didn't have much. She was getting bullied in school for the fact that I didn't have the right shoes and the right backpack and stuff like that. Oh, but um, my mum was like, right, well, in the business, we can afford to pay you a tenner a week if you come in and file. So don't think, I'm not sure this is like is legal anymore, but like because you know child labour. <laughs> but but I basically used to go in nine till five with my mum um, over the summer holidays, and I'd make I'd make a tenner a week. And I remember it was their offices were in McGull in Liverpool, 
and there was a Woolworths in the square. And I used to basically walk down to the Woolworths and buy like albums. Like that was what I, that was what I wanted. I wanted music. I was buying like Ash and um, Sleeper and all the kind of like nineties indie stuff. That's and, by the way, that's amazing because I was speaking with Woolworths yesterday. <laughs> and see when you mentioned it the other day, I was like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that was my first job. Um, then my first job that wasn't part of nepotism and moving into the family <laughs> business um, was I was I was a kitchen porter um, in a restaurant, and then I was a and then I worked on the shop in in a, in a spa, um, not a spa like a holistic health spa where you get massages and things a spa with an r on the end um i worked there when i was 16 17 and then 18 um so um yeah the, the, those were like kind of like the jobs i did back mm. then and then i actually did okay when i went off to uni lasted three months because i was super duper homesick came home with basically said my mum was like do you want a job at the business and i was like no i want to find my own way and she was like, right, well, how about you take a job at the business, like even for like the next month or so, <laughs> whilst you look for other things, which seemed like a really logical thing to do at the time. And mm-hmm. then I ended up working there for like four years. <laughs> so that's how it happens here. Eh? Like you get comfortable. It's like, oh, I can stay here the new, I can stay here the new. Then you, yeah. you blink and then there's, three, like you say, four years past. Yeah. Well, I initially went in for admin and stuff, and then they found out that I was actually quite good on computers. And I self, I sort of self-taught to um to code, and I ended up write like co-writing with my brother. It's one of the only things we've ever done collectively together. Actually, <laughs> one of the only things that me and my brother have ever actually done together. We co- we co-wrote this piece of software, um, and the software was like it was like a pioneering insurance quotation software at the time. Like at the time, it was re- quite well renowned throughout the industry, and as a result, my mum ended up selling the company like for like triple what it was worth a year before um because this this software had kind of pushed things forward so off the back of that my mum was like why don't you take some time out and do your music for a, for a year or so like you know we and from the sale of the company well we'll support you financially a tenner a week yeah <laughs> well yeah exactly <laughs> slightly slightly more than a tenner a week um so i went off to be I basically went off to be a full-time musician for a little bit. I was in a band at the time, a hip-hop band, if you can believe such a thing, um, and enjoyed that. Off the back of that, came into doing, be, like being, running, um, well, I trained to be a recording, um, a sound engineer, because there really wasn't much money at all in being in a full-time band. <laughs> it, you know, it, there was sometimes, and then there, and there wasn't for a lot of times. And... Um, like that band was kind of wrapping up, but we were we ended up getting called in to be at a sound engineering school to be someone's end of end of kind of term project. And while I was there, I was like, I knew in the back of my mind I was looking for something else, and I was looking for. I don't. I've never. I never used to like having. Um, I never used to like having no, um, no go to like yeah. like no no next step. Like I'd only take the next step when I knew what it was. At one like back in the day. And then I was like, right, I'm going to do, I'm going to retrain and do this. And, um, and then basically retrain, did that, built a recording studio, tried to turn that into a business, realized that I'm a really frigging good sound engineer. I'm a really terrible businessman. <laughs> <laughs> so when I, again, when I had clients, they loved it. It was great. I loved it. It was a fantastic job, but I didn't, re- I just didn't know how to pull the business in. So ended up kind of like, like like losing money over time with that 
Um, and then I've got two kids from a previous relationship. That's where my two kids are from. And me and my wife decided that we wanted it. We wanted an, another child, like a child of from, you know, my wife's first child, my third. Mm-hmm. And I was like, her income at this point was supporting us. That was, that was how I was able to kind of, you know, a bit of support of me, well, quite a lot of support of my mom and ridiculous amount of support of my wife. You know, it was like, this was how I was kind of able to, to pursue projects that were more about my, like none of my, none of my projects have been obscenely profitable yet. The one I'm in now is getting there. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still, it's still, I know, and I, and I think it's important for disclosure for everyone to know that I couldn't have done things the way I do things without the support of two absolutely amazing women. Um, but um, so I was like, right, if she, if she, if she's going to be doing that, I need, a, I need a job with a more reliable income than this, than this studio, um, because when she takes time off work, we lose her income. We're really freaking screwed because I, um, I wasn't, you know, doing enough to support us. And the thing is, by the pro- what by that point, I'd already gone into one job that I loved. I absolutely loved working in music. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I still miss it sometimes now, and um, I loved it. But I'm like, right, what's what's the only other thing I love as much as music? And at the time, it was exercise. I love being in the gym, and I'm a nerd. I'm a full on like, if I'm in the gym, I'm learning about being in the gym. I'm learning what rep ranges mean and what exercises do what and which which ones recruit what muscles and which ones are the most bloody efficient. I got really obsessed with efficiency at one point. Um, efficiency, but, efficiency is key, I suppose, especially through, through life. There's, well, yeah, but there's, there's, another, there's another story about that. Remind me to bring up bicep curls later. Okay. <laughs> and um, basically, then I went off to train to be a personal trainer and got me you know, got me personal training qualification in practically no time. When I did the practical assessment, they were like one of the best we've ever seen, all this kind of stuff. It's like, you're going to, you're going to do great. Still wasn't a good businessman. Turns out I was again, really good as a personal trainer, really terrible as a businessman. I like doing things for free for people. Apparently that's a not good business. (laughs) (laughs) And you pay much bills with that. No, you don't. Um, And, um, and then throughout that, I, again, I've always wanted to be, I'm not the type of person to just get a qualification, sit on it and do the basic basics, you know? So I went off and trained under mentors. I went off and did additional courses. And then um, I knew that I wanted to do the nutrition part of it, but I wanted to do it right. And I wanted to do it mm-hmm. ethically because as personal trainers, you're not supposed to do any nutrition stuff whatsoever. Every every single one of them does, but that's another story entirely. So I went off to be, I went off to, to uni to do a degree in nutrition and a diploma in nutritional, nutritional therapy, um, which funnily enough, when I started that, I had to sign something for BANT, the British Academy of Nutritional Therapists, saying that I will not give nutritional advice to anybody that ruined my PT business because I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent a rule follower, but I wasn't that I had too much to lose. You know, like if someone, if someone found out that I was doing diet plans in the gym, um, and I'd signed that thing, then I, it stops you from ever becoming a nutritional therapist. Whereas the people, the other people in the other PTs in our gym, they just get a slap on the wrists. So it's quite funny, really. I was more qualified than any of them to talk about nutrition, but I kind of, I was silenced. <laughs> it's like, it's like I, was, I was, I was more restricted than any of them to do nutrition. So whilst I was doing that, my, 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 um, my business kind of pretty much died because I'd be like, I was like, I'm not, I can't do 
um, like a nutrition plan, and they'd be like, well, can the other PT? And I'm like, next, well, technically no, but they will do it for you. And that was enough for a lot of people, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but while I was doing it, the, there was a big, huge thing in there that in, in part of the modules was the psychology of it. And um, so much of that was coaching skills, communication skills, the psychology of eating disorders and so on and so forth and understanding not what to get a person to eat but how to get a person to eat differently and they taught they basically taught the psychology of behavior change and I had some really good um, instructors that didn't just teach it as a here's how you do behavior change for nutrition they taught you here's how you do behavior change here Mm -hmm. is how you help a person with behaviors around depression with behaviors around anxiety with behaviors around habits like smoking drinking drug use and um and they taught it from a principles first point of view rather than the practice of doing it just in the nutritional space because the actual coaches of that weren't nutritionists so so they'd teach you that and then the nutritionists would teach you how those things then apply to it um, and those coaches are like, you know, going way back, as I said, I got bullied for not having money. But the big thing I got bullied for in school was putting my hand up and knowing the answers to questions. I went to like the 14th worst school in the country in Anfield in Liverpool. Um, literally, we kind of bragged about the fact that we were the 14th worst school in the country. I don't know why. But um, as a result, it was, you know, I was smart by their standards. And I put mm-hmm. my hand up, know the answers to questions and then get the shit kicked out of me for it. You know, like, so... I'd um I'd learned after time not to do that. I'd learned to actually say jokey answers, get in trouble with the teachers, and have the kids in the class laugh at me. You know, so that because the teachers weren't going to beat me. Thankfully, we weren't in pre-Thatcher Britain, um, right. so um so we so that was what that, that that was kind of embedded in me. And then now I'm in a, in, a, in an environment where I'm there as an adult, and I'm like thirty. 233 when I'm doing this. I'm there as an adult. Everyone else in the room's an adult. I'm a little bit more secure in myself. Mm-hmm. So I had the uh, I had the confidence to put my hand up and answer questions again. And w- instead of getting beaten up for it or like getting picked on for it in the breaks the people in the class were coming up to me and being like, can, that technique we've just done, can you run, can you run me through that? Or can you do that on me? When, when they were actually saying I'd gone from school, I'm, I've never talked about this in this exact way before. And I'm this pretty large chance. It's going to make me burst out into tears. <laughs> Sorry. I've just made, a, I've just made a connection that I've never made before when I was in school. Cause I, I went to a school in Liverpool. So PE was footy or nothing. Right. There was, mm-hmm. that was it. And because I was I was the overweight kid, you know, I developed binge eating disorder off the back of the bullying. So I was always picked last and then I was always put in goal. And then this time for the first time in my life, because people were picking me first, like everyone in the class was like, I want to work with you. you mm-hmm. They were just like, you've got this strange understanding of this, like that. Like, and, and I just thought, I was just like, I'm just absorbing the information that we're being taught and then using it, like, I didn't feel like I was doing anything special, but there was actually even one of the girls on the course who was upset that we got to the end of the week and she never got managed to be partnered with me because I was making breakthroughs for people like mm-hmm. there and then in the room. And um, we went away, did some work on it, went like did, did continue study on it at home. And then we went back for our assessments to uni. And um, there was, there was, 
two people that were going to assess you. One was the person that had taught you and, um, and one was an external examiner. And everyone was bricking it, saying that they didn't want the external examiner because they built up a rapport with Chris, the, the guy. They felt comfortable because it's a performative thing. You're actually having to perform mm-hmm. a, you know, a, a habit change or a mindset shift on somebody in the room. And, um, and I was the only one that was really excited about the idea of working with the external examiner because to me, in my head, I wanted to prove that it wasn't a fluke. I wanted to prove that to someone who's not seen me over several weeks developing these skills, show them off in front of other people and so on. I wanted the chance to prove myself to somebody like completely and utterly that never, that had no bias or no preconception to me. And I basically passed with flying colors. And then afterwards, he's like, look, here's your mark. It's, you know, you've got a distinction, like all the rest of this. And he's like, he's like, that's this is the professional note. He said, to be honest, on the professional note, he said, I've not really got much to correct you on. He said, but on a personal level, it would be an absolute sin if you didn't do something with this. Um, he's like, you know, he was like, I don't think you should be using this just for, you know, just, just for nutrition. You should, I feel like you should be using this for a, a lot more than that. And um, I'd I'd always looked up to male coaches, and um, because you know, dad leaving when I was six <laughs> wanted that fatherly approval and stuff. So that kind of had me in bits, really. <laughs> and and um, and I was all set at the gym I worked at then to give because um, I got my dietary educator certificate. So by this point, so I was allowed to talk about nutrition again, but on a education around nutrition level. And I was all set to deliver a, a seminar at my gym um, at that point on like a few weeks later on on nutrition. And I basically said to the owner of the gym, I'm like, do you mind if I do it on mindset? And um, my business mentor at the time told me it was a bad idea because we'd literally put the nutrition PowerPoint together over this course of weeks and all the rest yeah. of it. And I wanted to change it two weeks before. Um, and the guy, but the guy in the gym was just like, you know, it's your, your, it's your room. Like if you're cold, you do, do, what do, you do, 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 do whatever you, you want to do. And, um, so I did, and I basically got up in front of a, a room full of people. I talked about things like visualization techniques. I talked about reframing our language. I thought I talked about, talked about asking ourselves better questions and those type of things, like goal setting in a way that pulls you towards the goal rather than terrifies you away from the goal. Like just all, like all more, definitely all mindset. None of this was mental health at that point. I didn't touch mental health at all at that point. But all these things were like how to be in a more positive mindset, how to do this, how to be. And actually, I don't like positive mindset. A more effective mindset is what I like to say. It's like That that um, sounds better, eh? Like positive means you need to be like pointing in the right direction. (laughs) But sometimes even a better mindset can make the a positive change, I suppose is probably a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um and that's it. So and I basically stood up for two straight hours and you know, as you've seen me do once or twice now, <laughs> I went off on one and I was in the zone. I was locked in. And I was just like I then then and obviously the uh, the other coach had put planted a little seed in my head at that point, but I was like, you know what? I don't want to be a nutritionist. I don't want to. I don't want to sit in a room and with a, with you know some nice natural light and a plant and tell people about 
like you know and how to help with irritable bowel syndrome through nutritional interventions i thought i did I'd already had it planned that I was going to do a master's in functional medicine after I'd finished my nutrition degree. And I was just going to, because I really wanted to go down the, I was studying as part of the degree, the um, dietary interventions to help with mental health. That was what I was super interested in. That was mm-hmm. the one thing. Cause I, so, and it was always, how can this impact your mental health? How could that was, that was the question I'd always, I'd always been asking about everything I'd learned, even from personal training. And, um, and yeah, I just, I was still CoFit personal training then. I was wearing a CoFit personal training shirt. Mindset by Dave hadn't even come about as a name. Um, and it was like 50 people sold every ticket to the room, um, loved it. Everybody, the feedback that came back from it was amazing. Everyone was like, when are we doing another one? Uh, you know, we did another one a few months later, which was more on mindfulness and meditation. And, um, and again, everyone absolutely loved that. And yeah, like then my clients started asking about it and I started using these habit change conversations in within the clients, within the gym, you know, and it's, and suddenly the level of what, like the level of results that the clients were getting was significantly bigger. Like the, their motivation was there so much more Their like their ability to kind of stick to certain habit change was there significantly more. And that was the point that I was like, right, um, I'm going to open up about my own depression because mm. I, I, you know, I, I was diagnosed with type two bipolar disorder when I was 14 amidst all the bullying and the binge eating and all that's fun. Um, and I opened up about it on, on Facebook at the time and on YouTube, the video is still there. <laughs> Weirdly enough, it's the, um, it's the 19th video I put on my, um, on my, Wet on my base on my YouTube channel, and it was found the only I found, the reason I found this quite bizarre was because the chat the channel was called CoFit because my surname is Cottrell and it was fitness, so CoFit personal training, right? And it's the 19th video, so it was CoFit 19, right? With obviously everything we've gone through in the last year, <laughs> I was like, I wonder what my 19th video was, and um, and it turned out that it was actually me opening up about my own depression, my anxiety, and oh, wow. um, bipolar disorder, and all the rest of it, and then. Then when that went up, my inbox was just flooded, mm-hmm. like with people just saying, "Oh my God, thank you so much for talking about this." You know, you you've made me feel a lot better, like a lot better in myself. You've made me feel more empowered to talk about it and all and all the rest of it. And I was just like, I just looked around. I was in a gym that had twenty personal trainers in it, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "This world doesn't need another another me teaching someone, like another another person teaching someone how to bench press right now." You know, it's like it's like there's this job this job's handled um yeah, you want to explore something else it's like see recently i came i was a uh, so anybody that's listening i've not even put this on an episode but uh i've been going through a bit bad bit of depression recently um and like you say see the behavioral stuff with the eating i've been eating in it and it's like pizza burgers like absolute shit recently yeah uh, put, put on a wee bit of weight and i think at the time it made me feel better but it actually makes me feel worse yeah and the comment was made to me two or three days ago for one of my pals he actually says to me he says you know what see you everybody you were the last person i expected to say that they were depressed mm. because genuinely i i take the piss 90 percent of the day um i hear a laugh but like i says to you earlier i woke up one day and i says to myself what's my purpose in life and that was a strong strong message to myself and i knew i'm still kind of battling this but 
I'm going to get there. Do you know what I mean? Um, I've got too much to live for to not be in the right state. It's just fixing myself, telling yeah. myself where I need to be. And it's all right to can no be all right. Um, yeah. A lot of people out there think because they're depressed, that's the end. It's not the end. Yeah. That's the beginning. It's the beginning of your own journey. So speak to somebody. Can get out and speak to somebody. Speak to Dave. Dave's here with me. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but it's good that like from for you bringing that up on your own YouTube, it was probably a very powerful message because people just probably looked looked up at you because you had more knowledge than a lot of people. And for you to do that, they'd be like, "Oh my goodness, again, how is that coming out of his mouth?" Yeah, and it's funny because like you know people who've heard my my full story or people like even who have heard the story that I've talked on here, you know, mm-hmm. I've talked about the fact that one of the biggest things I've not had to really worry about. And again, I'm, I'm open about this because I don't want people to think that there, you know, there aren't things that I'm grateful for and that I don't have certain degrees of privilege, but I've not, I've not had to worry so much about money as mm-hmm. an adult, as a kid, we had to worry about it. Like, you know, like crazy, but I've not really had to worry about money. So all of my kind of, for me, my, my worries around business is, am I doing a good enough job here? Um, mm-hmm. Is this, am I actually, you know, living up to the purpose that I set out for myself to, the, to this? Like, um, am I being successful enough here? Like, am I, you know, those type of things, like when I, when I worry about work, the success of my business is a very different worry to me than someone who needs it financially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am, you know, it's like, but a lot of people would actually hear that and then automatically they'd be like, well, what does he have to worry about? Because, he's he's not got money worries and the thing is every single one of us has got worries and all of our worries are relative to us Mm -hmm. so it's um i remember giving a talk um beginning of last year to um a greenkeepers association like a big greenkeeping conference over in harrogate it's like just just before the world shut down i was like yeah i get i got a corporate gig where they put me up in a hotel the night before it's like i've made it that's it come but um but a guy came up to me at the end and he said, you know, he's like, well, my next door neighbor was a dentist and like had loads of money at the sports car, was always off on holiday. And, and then he killed himself. He's like, and I just remember thinking, what's he got to worry about? And I was like, well, he's like, and, and honestly, he actually didn't see that this person's got his own worries. He's got their own subjective worries, like, you know, the stresses and strains of the job, even if it's paying well, there's still stresses and strains there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's um it's that's the whole the problem with depression and with anxiety with men with mental health in general is it doesn't doesn't care, yeah okay like money struggles are a significant determinant for a lot of people and particularly below a certain level of money so if people are worrying whether the bills are going to be paid every single month then yeah it can have such a, it can have a significantly massive impact but there is so many different factors and that's why there's that expression and it's, it goes around so much. You think that we'd understand it by now, but it says, you know, everyone that you know is fighting a battle that you know nothing about be kind always. And it's true um, because we do, we see, right. We look at it and go, well, here's where my worries are in the world. And that person's not got those worries. Yeah. Therefore that person doesn't have any worries. You know, um, my like my worries probably came from way well came from way before that, and the poverty wasn't the problem at the time. It was what that poverty made me feel. It it, mm-hmm. it put drew a target on my back and made me a victim, and it made me it it it, it consolidated a lot of low self esteem that I already had from my dad leaving, and I already had from my my older brother being 
you know, an older brother. <laughs> and um, and it's, it consolidated a lot of those things. And then by so, and, um, and then, you know, going into later on, nowadays, I'm, I'm very open to kind of talking about the fact that I get by off the support of, of like, again, those two amazing, powerful women. But, the, you know, before I came to terms with that, years back it did leave me questioning my masculinity and what my position mm -hmm. is as a man and i should be the provider and all the rest of it it's like oh if people find out that your wife's keeping you and all the rest of it how how's that gonna look and it's just like you know what i don't care because ultimately if it wasn't that way around then i'd be doing things very very differently yeah we're, we're, we do things the way we do um because of that and the thing is again i've given away it's around about 1,200 hours over the last four years now um, with a project called A Life A Day. As I said before, I love giving people free stuff. So over the last four years, I've done a project called A Life A Day where I've helped a person every single day for free. Now, um, so that's like, as I say, nearly 1,200 people now. And um, I wouldn't have been able to do that project. I would... I'd have, but what I'd have done is I'd have, I'd have done my business model completely different than I do. I call what mm -hmm. I do the world's worst business model because there's a few things. One, I give that first session for free. Two, I want to try and help you fix your problem in that first session. I'm not doing mm -hmm. that to get you on the chain and get you in the funnel and all the rest of that stuff like most marketers are out there. Like, um, I'm my job. I always think this is funny because I do a lot of seminars for for personal trainers now and their clients. Um, and I, I always think this is funny because I teach people to be accountable to themselves. I keep teach people to be dependable on themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and I always say this, like, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing a seminar for a PT, I'm like, I'm like, and you, your trainer's going to, you're going to kill me for this because I'm about to throw him under the bus, but you actually don't need the accountability of anybody else once you've learned how to, how to do accountability for yourself. Um, and that's the whole thing is like, I want to now help change the face of mental health within the UK. That's, that's my purpose. That's my mission in life. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to change the face of mental health in the UK by gearing my business model towards, I have 20 clients that I see every single week that takes up most of my working life and I've not got the opportunity to do other things. So like, so, and I would not be able to run my business like that again, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for the situation that I'm in. So I understand, I understand and expect and accept all of that really. Um, but yeah, in terms of why I do what I do, it's, uh, it's, I think it's down to the fact that I didn't have a clue about, I didn't have a clue about mental health when I was a kid, you know, like I was diagnosed with, it was called manic depression when I was 14. I was put on medication really, really rapidly. And I've since learned uneth unethically because actually my initial diagnosis came from a GP, which is not allowed. <laughs> it's um, So it's been, the, the weird thing is my diagnosis has been reconfirmed for, by two psychiatrists since and then and then questioned by one, one psychiatrist since then. But that last psychiatrist told me that all my problems would be better if I just got more likes on Facebook. So I don't really trust him. What <laughs> the fuck? Oh, serious, seriously, seriously. Um, when I went back from a medication evaluation um, three or four years ago now, he goes to, he basically, he, he was trying to kind of like talk about, I, and for with, with bipolar disorder, you have to keep a mood diary for like two months. Um, so between seeing me GP and seeing the psychiatrist, I had to keep this mood diary for two months. 
and it's the it was it was the worst it had ever been and i i know for a fact i wasn't exaggerating any of it like i looked at it and even looking at that mood diary was enough to bloody cause depression some days because it's like holy crap what's wrong with me that question by the way we banned that question i'll go, I'll go into that in a minute but um but yeah, and um, and then I go in, and I don't know, I don't know if he was just. It was a very short. It was a very short assessment. Supposed to be an hour long, but it wasn't. Um, and he just goes to me, "So you run your own business?" And this is when I ran the P, the PT side of things. And he was, I was like, "Yeah, I do." Um, he's and he goes, he goes, "How many likes have you got on Facebook?" And at the time, I had like six hundred or something, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, "Get a thousand. That'll make you feel better." Not would have no, no lie. Now on the plus side, I mean, he wasn't wrong because I've got like ten thousand now, and I do feel a lot better. <laughs> so, but I'm not suggesting that correlation equals causation there. But um, the funny thing was, <laughs> what I did instead was launch the life a day. I launched that project because I I sat there and I was like, what? I asked myself, you know, I I asked myself the questions like, why can't I do this? What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. I wanted to make a difference in the world, and I didn't feel like I was making enough of a difference in the world. And I teach my clients that we don't ask, why can't I do this? We ask, how could I do this? We don't ask what's wrong with me. We ask, what could I do to move forward? Um, Because why can't I do this leads you towards all the reasons you can't. What's wrong with me leads you towards beating yourself up with everything bad you've ever thought about yourself, everything bad anyone else has ever said to you, and everything bad that no one else has ever said to you, but you're convinced that they're thinking it. So you're trolling yourself by all this lot when you say that. It's not a good way to get you towards a solution. So instead we say, what could I do right now to move forward? And that can be by a baby step if it needs to be. Often is, especially in depression, it often is by a baby step. And, um, so I asked myself those questions, like, you know, by the way, and to anyone out there, amazing things start happening when you start taking the advice that you give to other people, whatever industry you're in, whatever walk of life you're in, you know, if you give a, you give much better advice to other people than you give to yourself, just, just try the other advice that you give to other people for a second and see what happens. But for me, the advice, one of the pieces of advice I was given was ask yourself, how could I? And I, I know, or what can I do? And I asked that question, what could I do to help more people was the question I asked myself. And the answer mm-hmm. came back saying, you could do it for free. And I was like, can I though? Can I re- like, will that destroy my business? Will that do this? Will that, uh, all these doubts, like the, you know, within marketing, they tell you, you do things for free. People expect them for free. That unfortunately is totally true. Um, I've actually found that the more you do for free for people, the more people actually ask for even more. So um, I've actually been criticized um, multiple times over the course of a life a day for only doing one free session. Like so, and, um, and the thing is, is I, let, I refresh it every year. So if someone, there are people who've done four, like they've just done one every year since 2018. 18, 19, 20, 21, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so, um, but I asked myself that question and that that gave me that, that gave me that focus. Um, but actually before that one actually launched six months before I launched, that was something called matter over mind, um, which was a, an, a free once a week, um, two hour training session where it'd be an hour of an hour of physical exercise plus, and then followed by an hour of just open conversation about mental health. And, um, and I ran that in, a local gym and um basically we had the whole gym to ourselves it was a private training facility we had the whole gym to ourselves for, for those two hours so and it was completely free and um 
again, I ran that for two and a half years, did the same time as doing the Alive a Day thing. And then six months later, in January the 1st, uh, 2018, I started the Alive a Day thing. And those things, those things were part, I'm not even going to say they were what made me feel better, right? Because it's parts. Everything's about parts. Not one thing is the thing. Like, you know, you said before, I, I actually did a podcast about this about a week and a half ago called What is Your Mental Health Diet? And by mm-hmm. diet, I don't mean just what you're consuming food-wise. I mean everything you're consuming. So that can be social media. That can be what are you reading? Who are you talking to? What are you listening to? You know, I said at the beginning of this episode that I feel like I've got that bit of me time back now, right? What am I doing? It's, you know, 7 o'clock till 6, 6.30 till, till 8.30 in the morning. Where am I doing? I'm in the gym before I start work. In that time, I don't have music on. I have podcasts on. Yeah, That's two hours of podcasts. That's two hours of things that I send in my mind, usually in very positive directions. And um, I didn't have that throughout lockdown. Because if, I, you know, the only time I, I don't just sit in the house and listen to podcasts. For me, podcasts or even audiobooks were always something that I'd do when I was doing something else. If I wanted a book, and just a book. I wouldn't sit and listen to an audiobook. I'd sit and read a book. Um, but the book, books and or, and podcasts were always things that were in the car for me or in the gym. So I was getting, you know, I've got 20 minutes to the gym, two hours in the gym, 20 minutes from the gym. I was getting two and out, two hours and 40 minutes worth of conversation of different thoughts, different ideas going through my mind, like every day of the week before lockdown. Then when lockdown comes up, what do I do for those two hours in the morning? Well, some days I did go running, but if I went running, I'd usually go running with my wife. So I wouldn't have the podcasts on because it's kind of rude, apparently. (laughs) Mm. But, um, but then, so all of that, that all of that consumption was taken out of my life. And then what consumption is now in my life? Doom scrolling Twitter, looking at different things on online of like, of who's saying what, like getting involved in bloody reading the drama about frigging, Piers Morgan, you know, it's like, it's like this stuff that which literally didn't have a place in my life before lockdown was all the. So I would say a few things. One, I started that project. Two, again, I started looking after my. Um, I started putting my own physical health first again because to build up the PT side of the business, I wasn't really. I didn't really want to be in the gym for me. That's that's a funny thing about following your passion and your job. Sometimes it stops you from being your passion outside your job. You know, when I was running the music studio, I'd be sat there all day thinking, oh, I love music, I love music, it's great, it's great, it's great. But then when I'd finished doing music for work all day, the last thing I wanted to do at the end of the day was pick up my guitar. First hour of the day while we're there, like while the band's setting up and everything, I'm like, oh God, I wish I could set up and play with them. But by the end of the day of it, it's like, didn't want to do it. Same with the gym. I mean, I've been in that gym since 6 a.m. of like, of training other people. I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be somewhere else. Um so I started, I did, I actually started training in a different gym than the one I worked in. <laughs> like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which was, so, and I, I was separating, you know, ch- separating church and state, separating kind of like the, the, um, I'd, I, I'd drive like to one that was on, it was on the way home at least. So like, it wasn't too bad, but mm-hmm. um, I'd drive to a different gym just to have a different environment, like to train in that wasn't. Uh, different in, scenes, I suppose. Yeah, do you know actually one other weird thing that happened back then is when I was working in the office, I'd wear I'd wear, you know, pants and a shirt and stuff um all day. And then I'd come home and I'd change into my trackies to get comfy. Right. But then when I was working in the gym, I was in trackies all day. 
So it was actually, I actually was not physically more comfortable, but psychologically more comfortable when I changed mm -hmm. out of my trackies into a pair of jeans because the jeans signified this is this is play mode now. Tracky yeah. bottoms. I mean, I've not I've not been out of tracky bottoms since freaking COVID hit. So, but um, wear wear jeans when I go and visit my mum, and they feel uncomfortable. But um, but I used to change, and I, and I thought, and I found that really interesting because I thought, ah, oh, it's not about it's not about physical comfort. It's about psychological comfort. It's about what it signifies and what it represents. I'm kind of the same. It's like, see if I put on like I wear joggers majority of the time or ninety percent of the time I'm in shorts. Mm -hmm. But if I put on a pair of jeans, it's that's it, you're going to. But then if I put on a suit, it's business time. Okay. Yeah. Um, unless I put on a black suit, then you know it's it's a funeral. Yeah. But, uh, if you put on, I, I, I actually enjoy being in a suit. I think suits are great. And yeah. uh, my pal's dad is the area manager for Slater's. Um, so when I go and get my suits done, Ken, it's, it's probably just how they date for everybody, but I'm, you're just well looked after when you go there. Yeah, you know, and you, when you're wearing your suit, it's like wearing a cloud. I suppose <laughs> is probably the best way to put it. So you're so comfortable, eh? But no, I can't what you mean by the like the psychological part of putting on something different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that was that was kind of why I got into it. Really, was I when that when I kind of had that situation in uni where they were saying, you know, this would be an absolute sin and all the rest of it. I was like. Oh, maybe all that therapy I, I did as a kid and all the rest of this, it's, it's, it's stuck. <laughs> like may that's, and I used to always rationalize it as well. When everyone in the school was like, Oh, you, you're so good at this. And I'm like, well, I've been through, I've been through cognitive behavioral therapy. I've been through regular therapy. I've been, I've, as a receiver of these things, you know, I've been working on my own mental health. I've been working on self-development my entire life. And especially at that point I had, you know, um, mm -hmm. I hit like a really, really low point in my life in 2009 and um, I felt like I had nothing left to give. I felt like every, I'd, I'd, cut, I'd end up in, by being in this one relationship, ruined um, all of my friendships, all my, all my connections with my family. I was like utterly, utterly, utterly alone, except for I'd still have the kids two days a week. But when I had the kids, I wasn't able to look after them. I was like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't keeping on top of the washing. I'd take them to the wacky warehouse and, get two for one chicken nuggets for their tea even though like mm -hmm. a year before i was like my kids are never going to be on fast food and all the rest of it because i'd you know i'd <laughs> i was one of those um I'd, I'd i'd gone from being morbidly obese to being to being super slim at that point and i was one of those i was in that first two years where you know you're one of those really obnoxious people about it <laughs> but i was like i was i was totally like totally looking after them and like all the rest of it. And then obviously I had this one year where everything fell apart and you know, that's, that's depression for you. Depression saps you of your ability to do anything. And it also tells you a bunch of lies, you know, for me getting out of bed, I would get out of bed on the days that the kids were there and that was it. Mm -hmm. And even then there were points that my kids who were two and four at the time, there was times when they were tucking me in on the couch while I was just lying there in sobs, you know, and um, I genuinely 100% believed, I believed that my um, my kids deserved a better dad. And my my idea of how to get that better dad for them was for me to disappear off the face of the planet and make space for another dad to emerge. And um, in 2009, I did, I tried to take my own life. Fucking hell, man. One of the, this is my favorite failure in the whole world. <laughs> I'm so glad I failed at it. 
Um, and I'd love to say that failing that was like it was an eye-opening experience and and that I like you know and that it, I completely changed my ways from that point. Um, but I didn't. I spent the next couple of weeks thinking I'm going to do this again. I'm going to try again. I didn't. I still didn't want to be there even after I'd survived. It was no. It was no kind of for a lot of people. It's a moment of an epiphany. It's like in a moment of um, you know regret and stuff. But for for some for many people it's not. And for me it wasn't. And I genuinely think that if if, if I hadn't have at the time thought like one of the things I thought I was doing because I thought this will make me feel better because I kind of like I like being good at things. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to learn how to I'm going to learn how to speak French. That's going to that'll give me a purpose. That'll give me something to do. And I was learning from a bloody game on the Nintendo DS and from and it, but like but also from like CDs at the time because mm-hmm. obviously this is 2009 and uh, apps hadn't been created yet. <laughs> but I thought I thought when this is when Netflix was still sending flicks over the net, you know, sending them to your house on a DVD. And I thought what happens if I just get a French film or two? Like that's that's got to be a way because obviously I learned to speak from just hearing a lot of English, um, and I thought, well, I'll get some French films and I'm I'm gonna and I'm gonna like just I'm gonna rent a, just an absolute ton of French films. So I went through a few weeks before when I wasn't at the absolute pit of my depression. I'd gone through. And I'd put just my, I'd set my cue to all these French films like the, the Free Colors trilogy, um, District Thirteen, and one in particular was called A Dive from Bell and the Butterfly. This this film freaking saved my life. Like um, it came, and it's a true story about a guy with ALS, locked in syndrome, and um, he's a father of two, and he learned to communicate with a nurse through blinking. And through that, the nurse developed a system of being able to write down what he was, what he wanted to say. And they used this to make a book, which the film was based on. And um, there's a bit where they take him out to the beach. Like he is, you know, the, his immune system was kind of compromised and they couldn't do it. But then for Father's Day, they were trying to work it out so they could take him to the beach. And they took him to the beach, you know, in the wheelchair, all the tubes and wires everything attached to him unable to move only able to watch and um the line on it which gets me every time (laughs) is it said i realized that even a shadow even a sliver even a fragment of a dad is still a dad Mm -hmm. and um i'd obviously got to the point of being what i considered myself the most useless dad on the face of the planet and I, I I remember just pausing it at that point and sitting there just bawling my eyes out. And the thought that popped into my head, it's still super clear to this day, is I'd gone from thinking, get out of the way, make room for that dad. And, part, and something inside my head said, that dad could be you. Hmm. And um, so I set out to do everything self-helpy in the world you know i went off to thailand for a month to train and like learn about buddhism and learn about meditation and and met some other people out there that were all on kind of like similar journeys and shared books and bloody read everything watched the netflix documentaries and all the rest of that stuff like just took up yoga um came back carried on with the Thai boxing started training towards becoming a Thai boxing instructor um 
Yeah, all of it just basically to be a better dad, you know, to give my dad the kids that, sorry, just to give my kids the dad that they deserved. That's what it was to start off with. Um, then on that first year, I, I told myself I was going to have a year, um, a year of being of being on my own and working all this lot out. I managed eleven months. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> it was August when when I tried to take my life. It was uh, July the nineteenth when I um when I met the woman who is now my wife. Um, the woman who, again, like she's, um, she's in from, from a mental health point of view, she's definitely not what I wanted, but she's everything I needed. Mm-hmm. She, she wouldn't let me use her as a crutch. And mm-hmm. that was hard. That was hard because I, but it was right because during that first year I'd, I'd worked to not need a crutch as much. But, um, as soon as I got in a relationship, part of my brain's like, right, well, we can outsource our happiness again. Now we're like, we, we don't, we don't need to look after us. We've got someone else who'll do that. And, um, and, you know, I remember like earlier on, early on, I was still, I was still really vulnerable. I, I was very distrusting, not of her, but because of the previous relationship I'd had. And, um, and yeah, but she was she was kind of like she did she she was she'll probably say that it was a combination of not really knowing what to do really um but she was she was firm but fair you know and she did say to me you need to do this for yourself like which mm-hmm. when i was symptomatic i'd scream and, and cry about and and but the thing was she she was she was firm with that you know she was consistent with that and again, I think for someone else that could have gone horrendously wrong and they could have just turned around and go, I can't do it myself. I can't do it myself. I can't do it myself. And like my brain was like, you were doing it yourself before she came along. Yeah. Like, you do not need a person to complete you. This was kind of your problem, you know, in the last relationship. <laughs> like, and, um, and you know, that, and, and basically I carried on, I carried on. I went and um, I went back to therapy um, I, I got myself set up with a cognitive behavioral therapist. I went back on medication, which I'd been reluctant to do for a while. And, um, and I just did everything. And then, um, and that, yeah, that was, that, that's, that's the kind of big why I do it. Um, because, because I don't want, and actually the, the phrase I was going to say is I don't want anyone to feel like that. That's not, that, that is true. That's true. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to feel like that. Um, but that's actually not why I do it because you actually can't stop people from feeling that you can't. If, if we were to make the world, what we consider all the troubles in the world to be right now, if we were to wave a magic wand tomorrow and all of those troubles would disappear, eventually we'd find something new to be depressed. Right, there would be new. It's like, I totally understand that. I mean, for argument's sake, if we went back to start a lockdown, um, so, I've took good and bad at the lockdown, right? Mm-hmm. The good stuff for me is I've met people like yourself, uh, fancy, crouchy, um, Ken Allen, all these people I've met because of lockdown. Yeah. Because I was I was kind of stuck in the house. I actually had an accident where I fell and I split a disc about my back, so my legs didn't work. Mm-hmm. Right. So that my problem at the time was my legs. Ken, I could not move. Um, if I went to the toilet, I just had to be in the shower. After the toilet came in, uh, I'm not going to go into detail, but yeah, I was in, I was, I was an absolute terrible state. So at that point, I thought that was all my problems. Yeah. And then I got back my feet. 
and you realise there's problems that start creeping up for no reason. Yeah. Or there is reasons behind them. But I feel like a lot of my problems are caused sometimes even by myself. Can like uh the way that I do stuff everything has a reaction, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um but mentally, like all that stuff uh, the, the mental part of it all, that's not really my fault. That's came through something bigger, but I need to figure out how to fix that. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. But then again, like I go back, see the minute, like I felt like, I think I can't put this out, I felt a lot more angry with being locked down. Um, and going back to the thing when you said you felt like a terrible dad, I can remember I said to my oldest son, What do you want for your dinner tonight? And he was like, Let's make a pie. And I was like, Oh, brilliant idea. So we made this sauce and your bean pie and we cooked it and I played up and he and he looked at it and said, Dad, I don't want this. And I was so annoyed with him. But there was no reason it's it's no his fault. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh that's that that, that kind of stuff kinda of got to me during the lockdown. But that's like I say, there's been benefits to lockdown and no benefits, but at that point I felt like a terrible dad mm. because I gave him a row and then after I took him home I messaged his mum and I was like, I actually feel terrible and I said to my girlfriend, I says I'm a terrible dad. She was like how are you a terrible dad? I says because I've, I gave him a hard time for no wanting what we made and she was like but Liam, he's a, he's a child okay. kids are going to do that mm. and I needed somebody to tell me that for me to feel even a wee bit better and for two or three days I felt terrible and eventually when I seen him and I picked him up I gave him a cuddle and I just looked at him and he says what are you staring at me man (laughs) 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 but you realise like that's just they they didn't care about that stuff but for us it takes a lot of like for one dad to another you just you want to make sure you're doing the best for your kids oh yeah and and it's it's like your your goal that's, that's your goal because you want them to look up to you and look for you for advice and stuff. And if you know gain that, then I don't know. I'm maybe just probably overthinking it. But yeah, no, I, I get it. I mean, the thing is, like, you are definitely within, you know, within your rights to be bothered by that situation because you don't want because because if you, if you'd have said right, if you'd just been like, you know, your kid doesn't like pies and you've gone off mm. and made one, that's that's one thing. But for, you know, there's the kids to say they want pie and then. And then not want it later on. That is, that is, you know, that's a, that is, that is kind of like, th- there's a principle there. You know, we can't yeah. be like, <laughs> if you're asking someone to do something for you, um, there is a principle, and we, I think, as parents, we want to pass those principles on. But I imagine you're probably beating yourself up over the level of the reaction. Yeah, and I think this is something I see in in so many different people. Well, everyone basically is. We all we all have. I call it our bridge. Uh, our mm-hmm. stress bridge you know a lot of people talk about it as a container um but the reason i don't talk about it as a container is what happens and when a container fills up and you put another drop in it then it only overspills by one one by one drop whereas if you put if you have a bridge and something and something weight wise goes on beyond its capacity the whole thing comes collapsing down which is a little bit closer in reality to what happens when we lose it so to speak you know you, everything that you've been through for the course of the day adds up course of the weeks months years it can be you know there can be there can be things on your bridge that have been parked there since you were six years old there can but like you know 
lockdown for a start we just left a friggin' cement mixer on everyone on everyone's bridge now mm-hmm. if someone's got an empty bridge with no other stresses on there which is nobody but let's just say that this amazing wonderful <laughs> lucky human being uh, with zero stresses they've only got the stress of lockdown they're probably going to be fine with it if that's mm-hmm. the only stress they've got on there but if you've got the stress of lockdown then you've got the stress of kind of like losing your job for it or even like you know again saying before that income's relative so to someone who's on a high wage who got furloughed they'll have lost more relative income to them, but they wouldn't have lost enough to put them kind of below the poverty line, so to speak. Whereas mm-hmm. someone who's on a lower wage, they're not losing as much. They're still losing as same percentage, but they're not using as much money, but that money means more to that person. Yeah. So like furlough was not a walk in the park for a lot of people, you know, even the expression of walk in the park for someone who's got agoraphobia, like <laughs> a walk in the park is a, is more than just a walk in the park. Mm-hmm. But, um, but these things all add up. All of these things add up throughout the course of the day. And, um, you know, I've, I've I've spoken to people in the past that they get to the end of the day, their kids don't go to bed on time and they lose it. And what we do is we tend to beat ourselves up because we think we have lost it because of that. And that's not true. You've not lost it because of that. You've lost it because of that on top of everything else. Mm-hmm. If you can lift 100 kilos with a squat and someone puts one extra kilo on the bar, you're not weak because you can't handle a kilo. You can't handle an extra kilo on top of everything you're already handling. But we don't treat it like that. We just go, I, you, we look at it in its own little vacuum and say, I shouldn't have lost it in that situation. I shouldn't have reacted like this in, in that situation. And again, if, you'd have, if that situation had been the only piece of stress on that bridge, the bridge wouldn't have come crumbling down. Mm-hmm. But it only takes one extra little bicycle when the, when the bridge is already at capacity to be on there. for the, And then whatever that last thing is, get the full friggin' wrath of everything that you've been holding up. So, you know, do I, I know what it feels like to like lose it on your kids. I know what it feels like to, to then sit there being like, I'm a terrible dad for it and all the rest of it. But again, that, that beating yourself up is, is going to be an additional stress that's on the bridge next time. And if you carry on through that cycle, feeling bad about yourself, it goes back to the, like, you know, why, you know, those why questions versus how questions, why am I always like this? Why do I react like that? Instead, ask yourself, how could I react better next time? How mm-hmm. could I make sure this doesn't happen again? What could I do differently next time? You know, like those type of questions that are focused on, because ultimately that guilt, those feelings, they're there for a reason. They just don't work. Like the reason is do better next time. But what it does is makes you feel shit. And then you do worse next time. It's um, it's a bit of a catch-22 really. And like, I mean, I spe- like if I was to say that story to like a room full of people, It'd be, you'd be rare to find a person not nodding along to it and not relating to it because when you, you know, when you do put it's, when you do put it like that, it's like yeah, we've all felt that. We've all felt mm-hmm. that thing where you know our partner comes in from work and they're a little bit non-communicative because you've already had a bad day as well because they're like, Ugh, like or whatever. That Ugh is about their day, but we take it as it's about us. And again, we've already got so much traffic on that bridge, and it's like, and then that can be the thing that leads into a full-blown row when really it's just a misunderstanding. And um, again, you know, in an ideal world, we'd, um, if in, in an ideal world, it's like there's, an, there's a book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers because they deal with the stress that's in front of them at the time. Then they go back to eating grass. Like they run away from the lion. When the lion's gone, they just chill out and eat the grass. Eat grass. Exactly. Um, 
Whereas us humans, us humans go, could I have run away from that lion any differently? What could I do to make sure I don't run after? Why are there so many lions about? Uh, what about that tiger thing over there as well? And like, you know, what about these hunters? Like, that's 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 us as a zebra. We're like, wh- how many likes did I get on my Facebook profile? Like, where we've got all these things running at the same time, and mm-hmm. when and we don't we don't a stress isn't an isolated incident from for most of us. It's not. It's it. We, we carry it. We carry, it goes with us, and there's only so much you can carry. See, uh, see when a lot of people, obviously, when people are telling you their problems, if people are tell if people tell me problems all the time, I feel like I take them on. Right? Mm-hmm. How do you go about like debugging yourself, like depositing everybody's problems and uh, focusing on yourself rather than? Okay, so there's, there's sort of two parts to that question. Deposit, like, sort of. Um, compartmentalizing people's problems that's come with practice and it, it's got easier mm-hmm. um uh the, i would say what made that easy for me easier should i say for me is when i first did a life a day because i said it was it was one person a day but it'd never work out as one person a day it'd work out as an average of one person a day so there'd be i, I think i did 17 and no it wasn't 17 it was 11 what am i even saying why was it say 17 i think i did 17 in two days once but i did 11 on a monday once and um and <laughs> and um there'd always be another person the next hour and i think for the things i've learned to do from myself i've learned them by having to do them for other people mm-hmm. so you know let's say let's say you know directly before we talked this morning someone had um someone had told me something that was sitting with me and i knew that i needed to can i needed to not bring that into this conversation with you mm-hmm. and the same like if it's with with clients when i have back to back clients if if i can't take that person's problem i can't if it's bizarre because I can be talking to someone about feeling suicidal and then five minutes later, I'm on a call with someone different. And I've, I, I kind of had to, um, I kind of, I just had to, I couldn't take that into the next person. I couldn't be like, I know you've got your mental health problems, but I've just been dealing with someone who's suicidal and I'm feeling a bit like, oof, right now. So mm-hmm. can you, uh, the person that I'm speaking to deserves the best of me. Yeah. So I think that helped a lot. Um, and it is it is tough because there's not there's like I've got I'm I'm you know I'm strict on my confidentiality so I don't can't I can't just go and talk to my wife and say oh, I've just been talking about this today and I need to decompress on it you know it's like it's like I have to do the decompression myself. Um, the the second part of the question you said how to break it and focus on me that's something I super struggle with but again I take the advice that I give to other people on this I'm, and the advice I give to other people on this because the thing is if you need the piece of advice just look after yourself it means you're not the type of person that's going to take that advice <laughs> so <laughs> it's um like there are people out there that are great at looking after themselves and there's the odd person that goes oh you know if you say the expression that we say a lot which is we have a we we do it on a, on my stream on a Thursday we call it fill your cup up th- fill up your cup Thursday it's it's an hour to fill up your cup we do some meditation and stuff um and we say it a lot is like you can't pour from an empty cup you know fill your cup up first before you help others now there's there's the odd person that if you say that to they'll go oh yeah i am burning myself out i'm going to stop that now and i'm all good and as i say odd person it's not very many most people are more like all right but how do i do that and mm-hmm. um 
the thing is with that is that's the type of person that there's a great book called The Four Tendencies that I've been banging on about for about four and a half years now. It's by a woman called Gretchen Rubin. And it talks about the people who and their ability to meet expectations. And there's a type of person called an obliger that finds it easy to meet, meet external expectations, but difficult to meet internal expectations. Mm-hmm. So if you want something of me, it's much more likely that I'll turn up than if I want something of me. Right. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'll even resist or struggle it. So that's why for me, off like that compartmentalization, the person that I was speaking to needed that of me. So therefore I was capable of doing it. Now, when you say, how do I then switch off for that and take care of me? <laughs> I might need that from me, but I struggle to meet my own expectations of myself. So um, with that, I've had to basically say, instead of saying you've got to do it for you, which is fair enough, you know, like I, I, I did what I did for my kids to, to, to be better. Then I did what I did for my wife. Then I did what I did for my, for my clients. And it's only taken me till a couple, four years ago, literally to actually realize, Oh, you know what? I'm doing this for me now because Mm self-esteem starts with self. I'm the person who needs to give myself my own approval. Um, but the way I've had to do this is by slightly reframing it by saying that if I give all of my time to everybody else, and as I said, you know, I had that day where I did 11 of these. So that's the type of, and that's on top of the my overwork as well. Um, that's the type of day that I would give myself quite regularly to try and help as many people as possible. Um, now, if I give 100% of the quantity of my time to everybody else, over time, that quality starts to dip. Mm-hmm. And I can't turn up and be this wonderfully entertaining and vibrant person that I enjoy being. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I can't be that person. I know I start seeing myself slipping. I start seeing it that I'm on the schoolroom with the kids and I'm non-communicative and I can't be arsed. And like, I'm just thinking, oh, I need to drop these off so I can go and start work. And then with each client, I'm just waiting for that hour to go by, you know, like that. Now I and I know the quality of that time. If I if everyone's asking me for my time and I give every bit to everybody else and don't do anything for me, then the quality of that time shrinks. Mm-hmm. It doesn't shrink noticeably every day by day. This is the problem, yeah. Because most people that actually are really good at giving their time to other people actually enjoy it. They love it. It gives them a purpose. Mm-hmm. Makes them feel valued. Makes them feel wanted. They quite like it. But then when 20 people are asking for your time and you can't say yes to every single one of them and you feel bad about the two that you've got to say say no to or whatever, you start feeling shitty about yourself. Now, um, or you start feeling exhausted or you start feeling, when's my turn? Like, when's someone going to do this for me? And generally speaking, no one's going to do it for you because in relationships, this, the, the boundaries have been set organically over time, you know, like people have expectations. You're the one, you know, people, the, the comment I love about this is when people say, how can you need help? You're the one who's always helping everybody else. It's like going to your car after driving it around on a road trip and saying, how can you need petrol? You've been driving me around everywhere. It just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. And that's how I teach other people who are these obliges as well to do it is that you basically, if you take a little bit of time for you, what you will then start seeing is that the quality of that time that you give to other people starts to go back up again. You might be claiming back a little bit of that quantity for you, but the quality for everyone else is going to be better. I'm a better dad when I'm like that. I'm a better dad when my itches are scratched, you know? I'm a better husband when my itches are scratched. I'm a better, I'm a better coach 
I'm a better content creator, better streamer. I'm just better, better friend when my itches are scratched. If those things are not, I'm terrible. I'm flaky. I'm less communicative. And the ironic thing about that as well is um, that it's always in a sort of inverse pyramid. Like if you think of who are the most important people to you in the whole world, it's like on the top of your pyramid, you've got, um, you know, your family, then you've got your friends and then acquaintances, then people, clients, customers or whatever, or and then strangers, right? So the closer these people are to you, the more, the more, the, the, the higher priority you take. That's also pr- like almost directly the order in which you will let them down. So you'll let your family down before you let your friends down. Mm-hmm. And I say let down, what I mean is you'll say no to, right? Then you'll say no to your friends before you'd say no to someone in work. Then you'd say no to work before you'd say no to a complete and utter stranger that would ask you to do something. And it's like, it's like, I've, I've got like my own little theory on this. It's not been proven by lab tests or anything like that. I think it's down to how much time you spend with the person. Because if you spend like with our partners, that's the person you, you know, in an, in an ideal world, you spend the most time with. Therefore they've got a big like canvas of you to base it on. So if you have a bad day with that person, that's a bad day. But if you do that with a complete and utter stranger, that's their only frame of reference for you. Mm-hmm. So you don't you don't feel as comfortable letting your guard down or let or showing that side of yourself around people. And uh, you know the more time, and also there's that obviously expectation that your family are the ones that should expect you, accept you for exactly who you are. Um. So yeah, you do you kind of you feel a little bit more comfortable saying no or showing that you're burnt out or, you know showing the, the the worst sides of yourself to the people that you love the most that's uh, uh, your views on stuff are absolutely fantastic like uh, I said this to uh, Mick so I done an episode with the feel good coach on Instagram oh yeah but you used to need to do a collaboration like, <laughs> I know that's going to last actual days but see if, oh, I'd love to be a fly in the wall listening to you used to in a conversation because well, if okay. we did it on mine, we'd do it on, we'd do it on Twitch, so you'd be able to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> See when you decide to do your 36-hour stream or whatever. Just me stream. and him. <laughs> him. He would be there all day. Uh, genuinely, both you say great outlooks on everything. Like, it's... I feel better just listening to you today. <laughs> I actually feel so much better just listening to you today. And I think the listeners will probably say the same. Um, that's why I got you on. I knew you'd you knock it out of the park. I should have probably made this into a four-episode thing. Uh, <laughs> but no, if you used to, you used to genuinely need to do a collaboration, I don't know if you follow each other. I, f- I follow um, him. I'm not sure if he follows me. Now now I need to know immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I'll message him right now and get him to help. Uh, but no, see, I totally appreciate you coming on uh, and let me and just letting loose. Um, I feel like my mind's blown. <laughs> just uh, some of the stuff you've said and some of the ways you look at stuff, it's just fantastic, eh? And yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not just blowing, blowing smoke up your ass because you're sitting in front of me, but genuinely, it's a, it's, it's brilliant. Absolutely he does brilliant. follow me, and guess what? The, the next person down on his list is you, <laughs> and then and then Alan, and then my friend Sam, and then Fancy Face. Oh, is it? Yeah, Fancy Fancy some man. That's, <laughs> I've not been rude. See if I've been looking doing this because Fancy's messaged me asking how it's going. Uh, I'm I'm just awake. I've not got questions. You put me on the spot. Uh, it's like it's like when somebody asks you a joke and you can't even think. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> oh, uh, 
Aye, so I he asked him if he had any questions for you, but I've, I've obviously put him on the spot. Yeah, that's fair he's, enough. He's a broken man. <laughs> but I shall, we shall leave it at this. I would really like to run another another podcast back with you if you don't mind at some point. In, yeah, absolutely. In life. Uh, just before we go, maybe just a quick question. Where's What's your next step? Uh, global <laughs> domination. Now, um, so... <laughs> I would say my, my, my two next steps are expanding um, YouTube and Twitch more. Uh, I say YouTube, Twitch, and the podcast, really, but I've just brought the podcast over to over to YouTube as well. I'm renaming the podcast soon because at the minute it's called Master the Mind, Master Anything with Dave Cottrell, and literally nobody knows me by either of those names. So I needed I needed to have Mindset by Dave in there somewhere. Mm. Um, oh, I've just been handed a cup of tea. Must have been... <laughs> um, Unexpected. Must, must have heard you talking for ages. Thought and, um, he's going to need. He's going to have a dry throat. Um. So yeah. So basically, my my goals. I want to try and expand the ways in which you know. As you said, actually, it's, it's really nice of what you said that you feel better just listening to me because that's actually that's what I want to aim for. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. a therapist. I kind of I've not I've, like I'm not a therapist. Um, I am training to be a cognitive behavioral therapist, and I that's that's what I want to start doing from the professional point of view. Um, but I want to be—I want to expand the level of free content that's out there. And I'm not—I'm not professing to be able to fix anybody's mental health issues, you know. Like that's—that's that's a ridiculous thing. And I, and people that say that they can, I generally distrust. Um, but um, but I'm certainly saying that, like, there's so all those different factors that correspond towards making a person feel worse. There's also a whole lot of factors that can correspond towards making a person feel better. And if and the, they, they tend to be have a snowballing effect. So you have something that comes along to make you feel worse. And like as you said, you know when you you know when when you start when you're not training, the training goes out the window. Then the food when lockdown came in, then the food goes out the window, and so on and so forth. It's like it does tend to snowball. But I want to try and help people snowball in the other direction. You know, like mm-hmm. my big thing is always for, for literally years. I remember walking around um, Poland on my wedding anniversary. <laughs> this is how it's this is my, my my mind puts little links like this in um i was walking around poland on my wedding anniversary four years ago maybe five and my wife turns around to me and says what's on your mind because you're like you know you're deep in thought and i said i want to figure out how to motivate the unmotivated and, and she's like watching me and i said well this is the thing if you look at motivation or if you look at all the self-help that's out there it doesn't work on anybody that is really struggling because in fact if anything sometimes it can push a person that's really struggling further you know you mm-hmm. see someone who's you see those like oh let's go crush monday and someone who's ready to kind of sort of maybe crush monday is like yes let's do it whereas someone who's not been out of bed in two weeks is like i can't friggin i can't uh, even, you know i can't even go to the toilet yeah exactly so my my kind of big thing is i use twitch and um, where i stream live we do a mental health drop-in chat we do fill up your cup thursdays um and we do a talk show on as well we do two talk show episodes a week which is a sat tuesday and a saturday um and then the and then youtube i do sort of shorter form like six to 12 minute content on 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 particular parts of mental illness um or mental health should i say not just mental illness because again when people hear mental health they automatically hear mental illness so those are like those are my big things because ultimately no one has to pay a penny for those um, mm-hmm. Which is it is double edged sword, you know. For some people, that's great. For other people, it means they won't do anything with it. People see things that are priceless as worthless. Sometimes I understand that. 
Um, so I want to kind of expand the number of people that I help through those mediums. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that I can. Um, I was only talking to like Mountie yesterday about like, if we were to expand, because on my talk show on a Tuesday, there's a big joke about the fact that I'm always behind on chat because I don't give short answers, <laughs> as you've noticed. Um, I've only asked one question a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who is Dave? That's it. Um, I don't even know if I've answered that. Um, uh, but, um, <laughs> Yeah. And, um, and yeah, like I'm always, I'm always thinking about like what that looks like as we try to expand it and reach more people and stuff. Cause obviously I want people to feel, I want people to feel valued. I want people to feel included. I want people to, I want people to know, um, that it's okay not to be okay, but you don't have to mm -hmm. settle for that as well. Like yeah. you settle for that when you need to settle for that, but you settle for that for like, you settle for it's okay not to be okay for, a day, a week, a month, six months. You don't settle for it for your life. I settle for it's okay not to be okay for far too long. Yeah. And then once I started building momentum again, coming out of that, in my head, I probably said I probably stayed where I was for six months too long, you know. And um, and that's the whole thing. It's like you know, it, that's that's what I'm trying to aim for. I'm trying to demystify mental health. I'm trying to make it so that people can, you know, relate to it, can understand it. Um, and slightly more of recently, I'm trying to do that to kind of demystify mental health in underrepresented communities as well. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to get on the podcast and stuff. I'm trying to get more people of color. I'm trying to get more um, trans people, people of different sexualities, people who are just underrepresented. That's kind of like that's that's become a much more recent mission. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that I think I was afraid to kind of undertake for a little while in case I either, you know, asked the wrong questions or or literally got called out as being a virtue signal. I was like, and then I remembered that I don't really give a shit. So, um, so um, that's kind of the thing: mental health for everyone. Uh, and I know that's a big that's a big task, but it's um, and I don't I don't claim to be the only one doing it, you know. I, I also love doing the podcast because I bring on other people that are doing it. Yeah. And if I can if I can introduce you or anyone else in the audience to someone else who's doing great work, you know, it's kind of like I said before, global domination. It's not. It's a joke. I um I would like to see the whole industry up its game. I would mm -hmm. like to be a part of that. I would be I'd like to be a part of upping my own game, but I'd also like to be a part of helping other people up theirs as well. I don't know. I don't doubt what you're doing in the slightest. You know, you're you're mo you've motivated me, and I'm just sitting here. You know, and <laughs> say, no, I totally appreciate you. If you don't mind, would you mind plugging your socials? Uh, we'll get them plugged. I'll also link them in the description below. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's mindset by Dave everywhere. So. <laughs> That's 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 apart from the podcast, which is called Master the Mind, Master Anything. Um, but it's Mindset by Dave on Twitter, on Twitch, on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok. Um, don't ask me how I do it all. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's what that's where I am. Um, but my prefer, as I say, my preferred places. If you want that straight up interaction, Twitch is the place for it. Twitch.tv slash Mindset by Dave because you can. I, I do answer everything eventually. That's the... Uh, uh, that's if, the it, if it doesn't get answered, just put it in again. If it doesn't answer it again, put it in again. But, uh, <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't do that. I do actually, that's the thing. I do actually get to it eventually. The problem is I just sometimes by the time my eventually is there, the person's left. That's always an issue. Mm -hmm. um, because I answer everything in order. 
So no one gets skipped at the minute, which is what I said before when me and Mounty were talking about yesterday. Eventually, what we're going to do is we're going to do like a ticket system type thing so mm-hmm. that I'll, I'll answer a question. And as I'm getting close to the end of that question, it'll be like another ticket system, like a like a giveaway, but you're giving away the questions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's going to come to that for like a long time. Well, it might do. You never know. Um, but. But yeah, that's that that way you're only ensuring that you're getting and answering questions from people that are still there. Yeah. Because again, there's been a bunch of times where I'll be halfway through a question and then I'll like someone will be like, one of my mods will one of my mods will send me a tip so that it can get their message read. Because <laughs> then you obviously when you send bits, it comes up on screen, doesn't it? So um they'll send me a one bit tip with um that person's already left, and I'll be like <laughs> We need a better system to this. I know, definitely. But once again, uh, Dave, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I hope you enjoy your cup of tea. Oh, I'm loving it, and I've I've I've, I've loved this. I've loved I've loved. um, I've really enjoyed doing this. I definitely did again. Me, hundred percent. Because, but I'd really like you and Mick to be a collaboration. Okay, that'd be beautiful. Just yeah, but basically rope us into it by doing a three-way DM and being like you two speak. <laughs> you, you two must cuddle. I'm actually going to set up a WhatsApp group right now and use. You need to do a collaboration. You need to. There's no ifs or buts about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, I've I've got people booked up till the middle of May, but then I'm good. So I'm I'm on the prowl. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, for now, anybody else that's listening, if you are needing to get in contact, you want somebody to speak to, you can speak to myself. And like Dave said. You know where to find them. Um, yeah. I will be putting all the links for socials down below. So take care, people. Much love. And I'll see you later. See you later.